This episode of the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series was brought to you in part by our Portal Maker patrons, Leona and Griffith Locke. We couldn't do this show without folks like you, so thank you. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Welcome to the Aegis, Acolyte. We have so many portals, so many wondrous things to show you. But today, I think this one will be perfect. Hello everyone, thank you for joining us at the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series, the show for all ages, but not really, we are gonna swear. Uh, my name is Ren, and we uh, I am not alone in this uh, empty blank void we call Podcast Land, uh, but feel free to uh, assume that there is a very cool ghost who will be joining me later. Uh, we'll be meeting them here in a bit. But first, I want to tell you about all kinds of cool stuff uh, as we get started here at the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series. My instruments are all working. Fantastic. Full power ahead, then. As you all know, we are proud members of the D20 Radio Network. You've probably heard their zinger at the top. A collective of podcasters who revel in gaming, geekery, and other goo-gaw. That's a word, right? I think it is. This episode, we are making a shout-out to the Miskatonic University podcast, your podcast destination for all things horror gaming. While they are traditionally your home of Call of Cthulhu gaming, they cover so much more. The latest episode is episode 239. It's called Range, Bridget, with London Carlisle. Keeper Bridget continues to make this the giggliest podcast I have ever listened to, as her and Keeper Murph sit down with actor, game master, and apparently samurai movie geek London Carlisle. They chat with London about his career, his horror gaming adventures, and talk a whole lot more about why Murph and Bridget want to be his new best friends. You can find links to their show and more through our show notes and in the description of this episode. Go give them a friendly Go Pods from us. And a segment that I'm very excited that we get to do again. Uh, we're going to take a quick peek through a new portal uh, here at the top of the episode, our fan creation spotlight. Um... Although, I guess today it's uh, ten, it's a bit more official than it usually is, because uh, we usually just cover folks' homebrew content, but today we're covering published content on the Adventure Game, uh, uh, the uh, Age Creators Alliance. We're going to be peeking through a new portal to Changing Seasons by Christopher Robin Negeline. Negeline? Negeline. I apologize if I, if I got your name wrong. Please correct me. Uh, Changing Seasons is a quick and dirty horror adventure. At only eight pages, the spooky adventure will give you and your group an evening of monsters and ghosts with suggestions for how to continue the adventure. The adventure includes three new monsters, but telling you about them would spoil the surprise. You can find this adventure on DriveThruRPG. Just check, just search for the Age Creators Alliance, and you can find it and other adventures for your gaming table. Alright, well, you folks have probably heard me ramble on enough by myself. Uh, but I do have a very, very special guest on with us today. Uh, I believe it is his uh, first visit to the Adventure Game Engine Interest series on a microphone. 
I've only spoken to him at cons. Uh, but please give a warm welcome to Chris Premis from Green Ronin. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? So far, so good. Uh, I wish mm-hmm. it was less dark out so fast. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, we think we're having a good time. And I get to talk about uh, the Adventure Game Engine, which is always a good time for me, personally. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have a fondness for it, so... <laughs> <laughs> I would certainly hope so. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be uh, maybe taking a quick trip into the Wayback Machine with this particular episode. Uh, for those of you who are following along uh, with us, you know that uh, this week, uh, the week of us recording this episode, is uh, the week of Dragon Age Day, which is December 4th. Uh, it's December 4th every year. Uh, this year, it is also December 4th. Um, but we are going to be taking uh, part in Dragon Age Day with a couple of streams, uh, and in preparation for that, I thought it would be uh, an excellent idea to take some time to talk about the Dragon Age role-playing game uh, in a bit more of a sort of, quote-unquote, holistic view. Talk about where it's been, where it is now, where it could be going, uh, and, uh, you know, all the fun we've had along the way. And I was very, very pleasantly surprised that uh, Chris Bramus took some time out of his busy schedule uh, to come talk about it. So thank you so much again for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, Let's see. We also did an episode about the Dragon Age RPG uh, in in a bit more, like, nitty-gritty detail. It was our second episode of the discussion series. We did it with YouTuber Gilder Thalen back in episode two, but that was two years ago, and I would like to think that plenty has changed since then. It was back in the way back in the decade of 2019. So, you know, a lot has happened since then. Um, <laughs> it's been a decade. Yeah. Right. It's it, this is this decade. This year has been a very long decade. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll start with probably the most obvious and the widest and maybe the least helpful question. But uh, what <laughs> is the Dragon Age RPG? Uh, well, the Dragon Age tabletop RPG is um, a more traditional role-playing game um, that you uh, that is based on the Dragon Age series of video games and you know the comics, books, etc. that have sprung from that. So, if you've played any of the Dragon Age games, it's a world you know. So, uh, you just need to jump in and learn the system, which is meant to be easy to learn, uh, and then get into it. Which we answer, a lot of us have, and uh, I'm always, uh, especially when going through like Dragon Age fan circles, I'm, it's always wild to me, personally, uh, who may be a little biased, that there are, I always find folks who are like, there's a tabletop RPG for this? Yeah, that happens at every convention. It's true, right. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, new people are getting into role-playing all the time, so it's not like a huge surprise. But, uh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, yeah, and uh, this is some happy faces. <laughs> this is an excellent RPG, uh, at least in my experience, to sort of um, uh, get into the tabletop role playing space, uh, which is excellent because I, I, a lot of the folks who I meet have played the computer games uh, for maybe maybe a thousand hours, but they've never tried a tabletop game, and I very much appreciate that uh, Dragon Age is very uh, beginner friendly. Yeah. Well, that was the whole idea, right? Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to design a game that could take computer gamers 
um, and introduce them to the fun of tabletop. So, you know, like a big part of the struggle in doing that for any RPG is getting people to like buy in on the premise and learn about the setting and, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. And some people, you know, they just sort of check out at that point where they're like, you know, what do I have to read and learn before I can play this game? And so what's nice about Dragon Age um, is that, yeah, it's a world that people could come to the table knowing a lot about. Um, And then the system was designed to kind of onboard them to tabletop, um, you know, pretty quickly so they could be playing soon. Yes, very much appreciated. Let's see. Yeah, that's why why we initially were doing these as box sets. And so uh, Dragon Age set one, which was the first thing to come out, you know, it was uh, designed to be something that that you know looked like a game and but also wasn't too intimidating so it was a box set and it had you know two books in it you know slim ones they were like 64 pages mm-hmm. um and some dice and a map you know and then you're you're good to start adventuring i still have that map hanging up on my wall and i still have those boxes i really liked those boxes i thought that was a very clever idea yeah it felt very uh like it classically better if we could have gotten I'm sorry. What? It's, it was very. It felt very like like a classical Dungeons and Dragons, uh, like when they came back, came back in red the red boxes. Yeah, yeah, that was the callback. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, the only problem with them was uh, we just, we just ended up having an uneven release schedule with them. There were all kinds of delays on set two, and so mm-hmm. um, people got set one and sort of played through what was available. Were then like, well, now what do I do? And uh, so. Uh, it took us really longer than it should have to get set two out. And then by the time we were going to do set three, we were already planning to do a book that combined all the three sets into one book. And yes. so um, so we only did a limited run of those, essentially for people who just wanted their complete sets. And then we published what is now the core rule book. It is a very lovely book. And I was very excited yeah. to get all three sets, personally. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So we've got a uh, the core rulebook has everything Dragon Age in it. Is that well? Not everything Dragon Age. There was a book that came out later. Um, yeah. Uh, but it is. Uh, but that core rulebook is sort of the complete package if you want to play Dragon Age. Yeah, that's right. It's it, the only thing it's I think missing is the adventure from the first box set because that had been played by so many people already. Mm-hmm. Um, and we offer it as a PDF, so yeah, you can get it if you want it. Yeah, you can download that for free. That one's called The Dalish Curse. And, Correct. Uh, <laughs> we played that one. We had a lot of fun. Cool. We took, we took all of the... Believe, uh, uh, the I think pre- it was Steve Kenson who designed that. Oh, nice. Maybe we'll... Steve is a rock. <laughs> we'll get him in here one of these days, maybe. Uh, but yes, yeah. uh, The Dalish Curse is uh, free on the Green Running Online Store, Correct. Yes. Excellent. Let's see. Uh, I guess my next question would be, um, we have uh, now got, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, question mark, lines of age games. Uh, So when folks are looking at all of these age games, um, what sets Dragon Age apart from something like Blue Rose or Modern Age? thing to understand about the age system is that it was created originally for dragon age so that is the the first iteration of the system 
And so then we've been building on it since then. So uh, when we do new age games, you know, we try to customize them for, uh, you know, the, the themes and, and uh, the feel. Um, so, you know, Blue Rose, um, you know, it's, it leans heavily into stuff like character bonds and there's, uh, you know, psychic rules, which are not in any of the other games. Uh, well, I think I've modified in modern age, but anyway, uh, you know, it's one of the unique features of that fantasy setting. Um, and, you know, and then with modern age, uh, Malcolm Shepard, who is the, the lead designer slash developer, you know, he, he had kind of a big task in trying to adapt the uh, age system to cover basically anything from um, the start of the Industrial Revolution through into the near future, uh, which is, you know, quite large. Um, and he introduced something called modes in that, um, which to give people essentially maximum flexibility. So, you know, you could choose um, between like a gritty mode, which is like, yeah, it's pretty easy to die. So be careful who you pick a fight with. <laughs> um, and and then, uh, you know, more pulpy where it's like, you know, you're, you're pretty heroic. You can take some hits, but you're not um, immune <laughs> to things. Uh, and then, you know, there's just sort of the, well, not exactly super heroic, but the, um, you know, the like, you're just big damn heroes mode. Um, which which lets you do more cinematic type of stuff. The fly the car into the helicopter style of modern age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so, Dragon Age, the role-playing game, is mm. more, uh, I guess, fine-tuned t- for the experience of being in Thetis than other games. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the starting point, because basically, like, Bioware came to us when they were working on it. So this is, you know, before Origins had even come out. Um, they approached us and uh, and said, well, hey, look, we're doing this game that's, uh, you know, we're positioning as the spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate. And because of that sort of tie to tabletop RPGs, um, we thought it'd be really cool to have a tabletop RPG that ties into our video game. Are you interested? Um, and so, of course, I was. Because <laughs> <Wouldn't laughs> it's Bioware. Um, and uh, I, you know, played a lot of Baldur's Gate back in the day. So, um, mm. so when I started to design the game, like, I hadn't played it. You know, I had to work off of design documents that they provided me. And, uh, you know, I went up to Edmonton. Um, to meet with the team and, you know, learn more about the setting and the game and what they were doing with it, and then try to interpret that into a tabletop game that wasn't going to be as complicated as a computer game for obvious reasons. So that was how it got started. Gotcha. That was all the way back in, what, 2009? Uh, I think the process... Started in 2008, I want to say. It might have been 2009. It's been a while. But, it's been a hot yeah. minute. Yeah. Goodness, what else have I got here? I got. I mean, I, I mean, I've got uh, like dozens of questions, and I could keep here all night. But I'll I'll, I'll keep it to the uh, the important ones, perhaps. Uh, let's see. Dragon Age. Uh, one of the benefits of Dragon Age is that it's got that uh, world, that whole. It's got books, and it's got video games, and it's got novels. Uh, 
let's see, it's got a large community to speak with, uh, to share your ideas, so finding players to join your games or finding folks to bounce your ideas off of is not hard at all. Uh, there's lots of art and music that you can find, uh, so you've got a lot of assets that you can borrow directly from the games. You can hold up a picture, a screenshot of an ogre, and say, this is the thing that you're fighting today. Uh, and it's, uh, it is a setting that, uh, as, uh, through my, uh, layman's knowledge, they built Thetis to be explored. There's a lot of empty space that they left themselves for writing games, uh, but that definitely does not mean that we can't necessarily fill a little bit of that space, uh. And I guess, goodness, I know a lot of folks who have definitely filled it with some wild stuff. Well, I mean, when I started, you know, I mean, I had their main world design document and, Ooh. you know, there were enormous sections of Thetis that were just like, here's a paragraph about it. And that was it at the time. Um, and so, uh, you know, we ended up creating some material because um, we had to, <laughs> to, uh, you know, to kind of flesh things out. Um, you know, some of which they later like redid in their own style. And that's was one of the things about, um, about working on licensed stuff. But, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff they filled in, in subsequent games, you know, it just wasn't there when we started. So. Gotcha. So very, very hefty question. What's, what are some of the challenges of making an RPG that is based on an IP that you do not own? <laughs> ah. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, a lot of it depends on your relationship with the licensor. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we've done everything from like, we make a deal with an individual, you know, creator or team, like we did with a uh, world of Lazarus book, mm. um, where you know, we were working with, um, with Greg Rucka and, um, God, I'm blanking on the name of his artist, uh, co-creator. Uh, Michael Lark, um, you know, we just licensed the comics directly from them. And, you know, like Greg's a good, like approachable guy, you know, answers email quickly, really, you know, is keen to do the project in the, on the other end, you know, we did uh, DC adventures, which was uh, a DC comics version of our mutants and masterminds role-playing game. Mm. And, you know, the, the first two years of that were great because we were working with DC's own licensing department who understood licensing, knew how to do approvals, you know, all that mm. kind of stuff. And then that group got like disbanded and they moved okay. all the licensing stuff out to Burbank. And so for the last two books that we did, we were dealing with, uh, with basically like a corporate sort of functionary who didn't really know a lot about um, DC comics or role-playing games. And oh, so, yeah. Uh, that was extremely challenging. <laughs> so <laughs> I can only imagine. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Cause ideally you want someone who's, you know, who's going to be um, at least somewhat involved. Right? Um, right. And some people have gone above and beyond, you know, like when we did uh, thieves worlds, uh, you know, when was that 2005, something like that. Um you know, Lynn Abbey, uh, she was around in the early days of role-playing game games, you know, played them back in the 70s. So she knew what the score was. And mm -hmm. when we were trying to turn the uh, the magic system of the novels into one that would work for the RPG, like, she was totally willing to sit down with Rob Schwab, the, the lead designer, and just hash it out, 
you know, um, and not everyone is going to be that way, but uh, it really helps <laughs> when when they're enthused about the project and, uh, you know, willing to give you timely feedback and, and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, sometimes it's just like they've got a ton of stuff to do. I mean, when we had the Game of Thrones license, you know, for the first several years, it was George doing the approvals himself. And so particularly once the HBO show started, you can imagine on George R. R. Martin's to-do list where approved role-playing game stuff went, you know, it was yeah. <laughs> far down the priority list. So. Oof. And I imagine yeah. that, uh, I imagine that 2009 Bioware is quite different from like 2019 Bioware. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, over the years, um, you know, one by one, the people we dealt with the most have uh, have largely left the company. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it is different, uh, for sure. But, you know, I mean, they were uh, good to work with. Um, you know, they if they could at least give us an idea, if they couldn't, if, you know, if they hadn't figured something out yet, they could <laughs> at least give us some guidelines. Um, and they were good about uh, doing approvals and giving us, uh, you know, Pro, uh, intellectual property feedback and and that kind of stuff. So very good. They seem like folks who got a lot of ideas. Yeah. Well, a lot of the Dragon Age team like that had backgrounds in tabletop role playing games and LARPing and stuff. So mm-hmm. to them, this was just like a cool extension of what they were doing. Um, you know, sometimes RPGs, as far as licensees go, are treated like, oh yeah, what's that little stuff that you do? And okay. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the Bioware folks were actually keen about it, so that was nice. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that having uh, licensees uh, who know about tabletop games was extra helpful. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, we we had one licensor, uh, (laughs) shall remain nameless, but, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we want to do a map of the setting, and... um, he told us that we could do a map, but it would be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, right. So here's the part where you could tell us how to make it right. You know? (laughs) So it's not all wine and roses is what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. I can only imagine probably gets, I probably got only got more complicated as dragon age went from being like a hot new game from Bioware to like the industry quietly holds its breath waiting for dragon age Four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and Bioware as a whole with their their growth and, you know, the success of Mass Effect as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, really just like setting such a standard for um, for what computer role playing games can be. Like, I remember when Skyrim came out, um, my wife, Nicole, and my stepdaughter, Kate, were taking turns playing it. And so I was watching them and compared to dragon age, the story was just such a nothing, you know, I, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this, this does not hold my attention at all. Um, so uh, yeah, go Bioware. <laughs> but you know, the downside of that is they put such an enormous amount of effort into writing and story crafts, you know, like the fact that in origins, you can play that whole game and different combinations of NPCs behind you will have conversations that never repeat. Like that's just a, <laughs> a jaw dropping amount of content that they had to write. So very many novels went into those little dialogue bars and it's yeah. very astounding. Yeah. 
I don't know how helpful this question is, but I was a little curious, uh, maybe like from uh, maybe like an industry uh, or maybe from a personal standing. Uh, what are some of the benefits of a licensed role playing game? Uh, well, I mean, the the first benefit is just name recognition, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, you know, particularly helpful. You know, by the time we did the core rule book, like Dragon Age was really established, you know, Um but like any, you know, if you can tie something to a new hot thing, that's obviously good for you. Um, you know, we were um, lucky enough with uh, Game of Thrones to get a license before the HBO deal. We just got to benefit from the HBO deal by you know getting it onto people's, uh, you know, people's understanding. Like, oh, this is a cool fantasy IP. Mm-hmm. Um, another asset that people don't think about, but is uh, like really important is uh art assets so depending on what you're licensing there is art attached to it that you can use potentially um and so although you're paying a licensing fee the fact that you know all or much of the art is stuff you can use via the license uh is a a huge money saver so Mm. you know again we did dc adventures like we had almost 75 years of DC art that we could potentially call upon. So, I mean, that was pretty great. (laughs) Um, But same for Bioware, Uh, you know, they, they had a lot of art um, as well that we could use uh, from various art books and concept art and stuff like that. That core rule book turned out to be a very pretty book. Yeah, for sure. Did I remember correctly that that one won an any for art? Uh, That sounds right. That was a while ago, so it's it's a little fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I admit my memory is not the best for what what exactly won what in what award. So right. uh, <laughs> we podcasted about <laughs> it, but uh dang and that's so yeah. much podcast to go back through. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it was a super pretty book and you know, uh it was helpful that they had done like a big lore book through um um the dark horse the comic company dark horse um uh that you know that we could draw on hey no kidding as well yeah and we did our own art too but uh of course hmm. yeah there's also a funny limitation though like when we were doing origins um you know they had all those spirits in the fade right and uh mm-hmm. um you know there was the God, my fucking brain. Uh, <laughs> there's what happens to a mage, right? When they, they get possessed by something from the Fade, they, they turn into a specific monster who I'm not remembering. Uh, but an um, abomination, I think. Yeah, yeah, an abomination. Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, <laughs> like, in my conception, an abomination could look like almost anything because, you know, it was the, the individual expression of, of that mage uh, mm-hmm. you know, as they got twisted. And when we tried to do that, um, the art director at Bioware was like, oh no, abominations look like this, you know, and it's exactly what the computer game version looked like. And it was mm-hmm. like, okay, like, I understand you have to have one because you don't want to model like umpteen different things in a computer game, but like, we have artists, you know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we could make like cool variations uh, on the theme. But, but uh, we could do a couple of but, those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Hadn't thought about yeah. that. 
But yeah, you know, I suppose when they've got like uh, when they've got the model, like this is what they look like, then yeah, you want to have a bit of consistency, I suppose. I mean, it's funny because like Games Workshop is kind of the same way with their demon miniatures because hmm. they need them to have a consistent look so they can make a line of miniatures that look cohesive together. But like the whole idea of demons is that you know they're from the realm of chaos, and like you would think in the realm of chaos, you know, stuff could look like whatever. Imagine that. <laughs> um, there was more of that in the older game, but uh, thing, things get really got codified later. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so super basics here. How uh, and um, a lot of the folks who, of course, been listening along with the podcast, we've been we've been doing this for a hot second. We'll probably know the answers to most of these questions, but this is going to be for the folks here who are joining us for the first time. Hello. Uh, we're talking about the Dragon Age role playing game um, for those folks here who have not tried it out yet. Uh, how uh, how does the Dragon Age role playing game work? Uh, well, so it was designed as a class and level system because that's how the video game was. Um, and, uh, uh, I tried to make it, as I said, like approachable to people. So basically, um, you know, you choose from three classes, uh, you know, mage, rogue and warrior. Um, and, um, everything in the game is, is done with six sided dice and, um, uh, it's easy to roll up a character um, in the Dragon Age game in particular um, you take a background which uh, often has a cultural component as well um, so uh, you know it might tell you that you're from a particular region or you know we did like an Orlesian exile that was specifically someone from Orle in Ferelden and you know that kind of stuff um, <clears throat> and that tells you more about your character, gives you some abilities and so on. Um, and you can be ready to go in, you know, less than a half an hour, really. Um, and uh, once you start playing, like everything runs off of six-sided dice. So generally speaking, when you need to do something that isn't uh, where there's a chance of failure, you're going to roll three six-sided dice. Two of the dice are one color and the third die is a different color. Um, that off-color die in Dragon Age is called, unsurprisingly, the Dragon Die. Uh, it's called different things in other Age games. But um, anyway, that Dragon Die is used to both like level your measure of success when you do something, um, but its most key use is what we call stunts. And stunts are really like the killer app of the adventure game engine. Um, so... Uh, It started as sort of a dynamic critical hit system where these were something that you used in combat. Um, And if you succeeded in an attack and you got doubles on any of the dice, uh, you then generated stunt points equal to the result of the dragon die. And then you had to spend them immediately uh, on some cool stuff that you did. Um, And you have a little table of stunts uh, stunts cost a variable amount from one to five, sometimes more. Um, and uh, you can mix and match the stunts any way you want. So if you get four stunt points, you could do a three-point stunt and a one-point stunt or two twos or, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, so basically, you figure out what you want to do. And then uh, if you like, you can narrate, like, the cool stuff that you just pulled off. Um, and in those rules, I was able to nest things like you know, disarming and, uh, you know, getting extra attacks and all sorts of other stuff that gets real crufty in other games. 
Um, and um, as we were playtesting, you know, people were like, yeah, this is the coolest part of the game. There should be more opportunities to do this. So originally I didn't have spell stunts because I thought, hey, if you can cast spells, that's already pretty special. Um, but people play in the mages like they really want spell stunts. And then from there, uh, you know, we added role-playing stunts, exploration stunts. Later, there were chase stunts, like all kinds of stuff. Um, it's just a way to add some, some uh, you know, some fun to the table and give you some, uh, some unexpected surprises, uh, hopefully good surprises. <laughs> and uh, unlike uh, some like D20 based systems where it's like, oh, on a 20, you do something special. Like your odds of getting doubles on 3D6 is like 44% or something like that. So like that. they're happening often, you know, um, which is nice because uh, it's, you know, <laughs> spruces the game up as it were I, I honestly forgot that you until you mentioned it that there used to only be combat stunts in this game we've been using yeah we've been we've been having stunts all over the place for so long it's uh mm -hmm. just kind of hit me yeah yeah i mean that's it's been expanded a lot um over the various age games um you know, modern age, of course, added a whole bunch of new stunt types to deal with firearms and other things. Um, and, uh, you know, same with Blue Rose and same with Fifth Season when that comes out. Hint, hint. For all these of you out there, you heard it first. <laughs> you, probably, you probably didn't hear it first, actually. Uh, Let's see. Do, do, do. I, I've always had to keep retraining myself to not call the stunt die by a name for the age game that I'm not currently playing. It took us probably at yeah. least a year to completely train out not saying Dragon Die when we started playing Fantasy Age. Yeah. When Fantasy Age developed in the first place was basically lots of people liked the system of Dragon Age, but they weren't interested in Thetis. And so uh, we were looking at uh, just spinning off the rules on their own for people who wanted to play in different worlds. Um, and then we were extra motivated to do so when... Um, Will Wheaton called me and wanted to do the Titan's Grave web series using the adventure game engine. Um, so, uh, you know, Fantasy Age developed um, slightly differently than Dragon Age. Uh, we changed some of the stats and things like that, but, you know, largely the same. Um, easy to pick up if you had played Dragon Age. Um, but uh, yeah, then we had to rename the stunt die, and then uh, we probably just sort of stuck with one. But we've—it's <laughs> like the drama die in Blue Rose and uh, other mm -hmm. things. So a bit of flavor. In my fantasy campaign, we call it the spirit die. Oh, there you go. Which I'm sure confuses the people who are reading the adventures I've written for the ACA. <laughs> I tried to include a little. Yeah, I just need a little note up front. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's see. Um, goodness. Uh, I've only got, apparently I've only got big and unhelpful questions for you. Um, but, uh, the adventure <laughs> game engine has been around for a hot second. Um, don't have to necessarily go through the whole history if you don't want to, but, um, how has it kind of like changed over the years? So it's just really been a continuous development. Um, and sometimes, you know, like, something will develop in one game and then be put back into a different game. Um, like, I actually can't remember if the whole system of Bonds started in Dragon Age and went to Blue Rose or if it was the other way around. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, actually, I think we, d we were developing it at the same time 
um, and then each game got an iteration of it, um, mm-hmm. I think. But <laughs> yeah. uh, right. anyway, so different bits and pieces have been added over time. And then whenever we're going to do a new game, um, we look at what of those pieces we think fit and what pieces we need to make um, for the style of game that we're doing uh, to be able to reflect that in the rules. Because we didn't want to take like a universalist approach. Um, you know, we want to kind of customize each expression of the rule system so it does what it's meant to do in the genre or in the property. Gotcha. I definitely think that age works best if it's got a little bit of customization. Yeah. Yeah. At least in my experience. Yeah. One thing I didn't right. mention in my general mm-hmm. write up was uh, what I was saying earlier is, uh, you know, although you start with three classes, um, you could then pick up what's called the specialization at fourth level. And, you know, that's the way the Dragon Age video game worked. Although I think it was sixth level with them, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, just a way to to customize your character a little more, so you're not just a warrior; you're a berserker, and you know this kind of stuff. And specializations are also a great way to customize um, your game for the setting that you're using, or you know other um, other parameters that you set up when you're putting the game together. Absolutely. Making talents and specializations is very fun. Yeah. It is a great temptation and have to be very careful not to like go into the, with the cam <laughs> with my little campaign book and be like, Hey players, um, here's 30 extra specializations. My feelings will be hurt if you don't yeah. use any of them. <laughs> well, so we've been working on uh, the fantasy age, cool rule book, which is basically like, it's not exactly a new edition, but it's like the next iteration of the Fantasy Age rules where, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff you've already got is backwards compatible. Um, but anyway, one of the changes uh, of that is that you get to pick a specialization at first level. And so, like, right away, you know, you can differentiate your warrior from other warriors, right? And so on. Um, so um, I think people will enjoy that. Uh, My players at home are very excited for level one specializations, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, the 3D6s have pretty much stayed the same. Uh, ability scores, a lot of the uh, mm-hmm. focuses, talents. Uh, the core has pretty much remained the same. It's very solid, and it's very easy to pick up. And once you learn one of them, uh, then you can easily jump into any of the other ones uh, and find the little bits of variety that come out of all the exactly other so. uh, age games. Yeah. Uh, for folks who are just picking up Dragon Age today... Uh, would, do you have any recommendations for uh, stuff that maybe like um, if you had a chance to like do it over, like if you if there was anything that you that you'd move around, or uh, if there's any like books that you'd recommend folks pick up to help sort of supplement their adventures in Thetis? Um Well, I guess the first thing I would say is don't be intimidated by the size of the core rulebook. Um, there's always a tension when you're releasing. RPGs of, uh, you know, completeness versus approachability. So, Mm. you know, when we did Dragon Age set one, that was very high on the approachability factor. Um, You know, it, it looked like a game. It was a short amount of stuff to read. And by the time we did the core rule book, you know, we had three box sets of material plus new stuff. So it turned into a really big book. So on the plus side, it's super complete. But if you just look at it, you know, like you might be like, oh, my God, this is like homework, you know, Um, but the core of the system, like you don't need to read 380 pages to (laughs) 
<laughs> to understand how to play. Um, so uh, I guess my first advice would be give it a chance because <laughs> the, the size of the book does not indicate how um, complicated it is to learn. So, um, and the other thing is, I mean, because it's the internet age, like there's freaking wikis for everything. So, you know, if you've got a question about something cultural or whatever that's not in our books, like get thee to Google and you will, <laughs> you will find, you know, wikis and fan fiction and, you know, all kinds of stuff that you could draw upon. So much fan fiction. Yeah, so much. <laughs> Let's see. I made a little list here. Of, well, I guess not a little list. Uh, I was just kind of... We we don't have to go through that list. It's pretty big. I'll probably... St I'll post it here. Uh, the folks who want to check it out in our notes can still find it in our show notes. Um, just like a list of things that I thought that you could absolutely steal from uh, other age games to help supplement your adventures in Thetis. Uh, and it is... Um, it is kind of part of the, uh, I guess... I don't I call it a philosophy. That sounds so high-minded. But um, my idea that um, looking at the adventure game engine as several lines of books that go to the same adventure, folks definitely will have a lot more fun in Thetis if you're uh, at least, you know, peeking in at a couple of the other uh, age books to see what they do and see if it would work for your game. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you wanted to add, uh, you know, system for psychic powers into Thetis, just get Blue Rose and <laughs> there's a whole system in there uh, that you could adapt if you wanted to. A lot of the stuff in Blue Rose is surprisingly also, like, appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the computer games became kind of famous for uh, the romance angle of it. Mm -hmm. um, people shipping characters and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Blue Rose is the game of romantic fantasy. Um, so... Um, there's some good stuff in there that you could use with Dragon Age. Um, or like, if you're like, uh, I don't know about like a class and level system, take a look at Modern Age because Modern Age doesn't have classes. Um, so if you want to build something um, without that, uh, Modern Age is the one you should look at for, you know, at least ideas on how to do it. Absolutely. So uh, we've got folks here who've probably already hopefully picked up their core rulebook upon listening to this episode. They didn't even finish the episode. They went straight there and they bought it. Um, <laughs> ideally. Yeah. Uh, so once they've got their core rulebook and they've got a group and they've got a GM, uh, what kind of stuff is available uh, to get started in your adventures in Thetis? Um, so there's a lot. Some of our older material is out of print, but still available as PDFs. So you know, there's an adventure anthology called um, uh, Blood and Ferelden. That sounds right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that has perfectly good adventures in it, you know, um, but it's not in print right now. But if you like PDFs, you know, that's uh, something you can get. Uh, the, the current in-print stuff is the Cole Rulebook, um, the Game Master's Kit, uh, which has um, a whole bunch of cards with all the stunts on them which is really useful if you're playing around the table oh, so you can just hand people essential. you know here's the exploration stunts and put it right in front of them um and an adventure as well uh and then there's faces of thetis which is the last book that we did um which is just a you know a whole bunch of characters um from various games and sources uh you know with their backgrounds stats adventure ideas and so on 
So you can use them as NPCs. If you want to go buck wild and just play them, you could do that too. So uh, <laughs> it's useful for GMs. Very nice. Let's see. Uh, and of course, uh, there are dozens of adventures that folks have written online. Some of those are can be tricky to get to uh, because a lot of links have been broken and a lot of them got written a while ago. We've been able to salvage a few. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, uh, but they, of course, they still exist if your Google Foo is strong. Let's see. Yes. Um, <laughs> you can get the adventure that I ran for Will Wheaton's tabletop show as a freebie off our website. Um, it's written in a slightly unusual format where essentially it's just bullet points because when I'm prepping material for when I'm going to run something, that's more or less what I do. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yes. Um, uh, I was on two episodes of the tabletop web series that Will did with Geek and Sundry, and um, the adventure I ran for those two sessions I wrote up, and you can still get uh, off our website. So it's called Duty Unto Death. Yes, I did like that one. I was very excited to watch somebody uh, make a good use of a perception smelling test. Uh, I think it is undervalued. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy was into it. <laughs> you can really make perception smelling work for you a lot more than you initially think. Yeah. Well, I mean, originally in Dragon Age, that was basically a focus for just creatures or monsters. Mm -hmm. And because of him, uh, we just <laughs> put it in the general focus list. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. All right. Uh, the core rulebook has a couple of uh, adventures in it at, for, at a couple of levels, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, including, um, okay, Brain, let's see if we can get this correct. I believe it was set three where we introduced the, the mass combat system, mm -hmm. um, which I designed. And, uh, and so the adventure in that one um, is kind of a bigger scope, and it involves some, some mass combats um, that you can use that system with if you want. I mean, you're, you're never required to use it, but it gives you all the, the info so if you want to recreate something like the big battles of Dragon Age in your game, uh, you can do that. Um, Absolutely. And that was, what, three three full adventures, I think, in the core book? That sounds so, right. Got one for yeah. uh, one that was written then, just for the core book, and then uh, the ones from, I believe, sets uh, two and three. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I've run all of them except the new one for the core book. Uh, I might have to give that one a try sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Did you use the mass combat system? We did. Yes. Uh, we enjoyed it. Uh, I, 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 I kind of enjoyed systems that let you get at least a little bit finicky uh, with commands. Uh, well, this one is not actually, yeah. this one's actually pretty hands off in terms and cinematic in terms of uh, managing a mass combat. Uh, so, which I very much appreciated. You let it stay in the background, but still um, when you got those dice rolling every round, uh, it keeps the tension going. Yeah. I mean, I am, you know, in addition to being a role-playing gamer, I'm also a hardcore like war game and miniatures gamer from way ah. back. So I could have essentially designed like a war game, you know, where you're moving units around and da da da. But I didn't think that was a good match for uh, for Dragon Age. So the system I designed is really about teasing out the um, the moments of crisis in a battle um, and giving player characters an opportunity where you like zoom in 
from the big battle into an encounter where the player characters have a chance to do something important, you know, that can uh, impact the way the, the whole battle goes. And then those things you play out as encounters with your characters. Um, so I thought that was a good way of both like having the big battles, but also making sure that the player characters were kind of the, the focus um, of, uh, you know, that they had the attention of the camera, as it were. <laughs> so. Absolutely. I would have to agree. Yeah. I guess uh, this is a question you might not be able to answer. And if you can't, then that's, uh, of course, perfectly fine. Um, but uh, are there many plans for the future of the Dragon Age role-playing game right now? Uh, currently, no. Gotcha. Um, but we still maintain our license. So... You know, we're allowed to keep selling things, um, and it's uh, a possibility that that could okay. change in the future, um, and we could potentially do more, but that is nothing is actively happening right now. Okay. That's I mean, I'm as curious as anyone about what exactly Dragon Age 4 is going to look like, so... Hey, fair enough. <laughs> we'll see. You could join the yeah. club. We have uh, jackets and anxiety. <laughs> yeah. We're all very excited, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to be hearing about it a lot this coming weekend for Dragon Age Day. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my wife, Nicole, who's also the uh, COO of the company, like, she's a bigger Dragon Age fan um, than I am, and so... You know, she's played all the video games multiple, multiple times and mm -hmm. just a really big fan of the, the lore and everything. Um, so um, she is going to be very excited to learn <laughs> what's, what's yes. coming. I saw her retweet something about uh, a bear-based Dragon Age stream. I wasn't 100% sure what was going on. Is she involved to that or is she just a big fan? Uh I don't think she's involved with it. I think she was just retweeting it as, okay. you know, here, like here's an actual play of our, one of our games. Fair enough. I mean, I'm, I'm still very intrigued to see how a all bear campaign or game of dragon age would play out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's fun. Mm -hmm. and for, uh, I'm, I'm only a little sad that it's going to be at the same time as our stream. Uh, incidentally, we are going to be having... Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, a couple of streams that we're going to be doing for Dragon Age Day. Uh, first one is going to be December 3rd uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I'm going to be doing a quick lecture uh, for, for lots of folks who are big fans of Dragon Age, but haven't tried out any role-playing games, uh, in table tabletop role-playing games specifically. Uh, and then on December 4th at mm -hmm. noon, uh, going to be doing an actual play of a Dragon Age adventure that I wrote a very long time ago. I try and polish it up at least a little bit before we get there. Uh, uh, but, you know, I'm, I, I definitely take Dragon Age Day as an opportunity to let folks, know, to crow to the heavens. By the way, folks, there's a tabletop role-playing game for this. When you're done playing the video games, you can just keep doing Dragon Age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever we would do the conventions like PAX, which, you know, are heavily video game focused, we would get a lot of people, you know, coming across the booth and being like, what? <laughs> Dragon Age? <laughs> so uh, there's there's definitely people who can, uh, can learn about it and uh, learn to love it. I really hope they do. 
we have a lot of fun with it. Uh, we managed to get, goodness, we managed to get like a three-year, 20-level campaign going. Uh, that was... Wow. There was a big hiatus about in the middle of it, so it, it sounds a bit longer than it really was. But we had a good time. Yeah. Well, hey, I haven't done that, so good job. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, we powered through all of, uh, t- well, almost all of the uh, pre-written adventures, and uh, I can tell you that me and my players had a blast doing it. Awesome. It's always nice to hear. Yeah. So, uh, thank you very much for this game. It has brought us many evenings of joy. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's always, um, you know, because the game's been out for more than 10 years now, like, I do meet people who are like, oh, this was my first tabletop role-playing game, and, you know, thank you so much for designing it. And it's it's really nice, because it was like, yeah, I hoped that this would happen, and it did. So, (laughs) it's... uh, Fantastic. Yeah, it's nice. Bucket list yeah. uh, check check mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's always there's always the theory, but then seeing something in action where you're like, "All right, <laughs> this right. this worked out." Heck yeah! All right. Um, well, uh, and I'm not going to bore you with those little lists that I made of uh, my very holistic approach to age games and stealing from every single age book to make a, a wild Frankenstein campaign of mine. Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> unless there's something else that you'd like to add, I will uh, add, uh, yes, I, I I'll just add that if you want to do a campaign, that's like, you can put anything in it, <laughs> um, you know, check out the threefold setting for modern age, because Ooh. that was designed or like essentially all options of modern age to be part of it. Um, so it's a, it's a big setting by design um and there's enough uh wackiness in there that uh you could start players on thetis and then discover you know this wider multiverse um if you wanted to so it's a a good place to look for ideas would highly recommend beginning your adventures in the metacosm from thetis i'm sure the chantry will approve They'd be very sad to find out about <laughs> how much there is. Yeah. Right. Has anyone seen the maker out there? <laughs> it's just on vacation somewhere, probably. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I think that that's all I've got for you uh, today, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Premus. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the Adventure Game okay. Engine Interest Series. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. All right. and uh, It was a good time. Yeah, it was. Hopefully, uh, maybe we can have you on again sometime to talk about uh, more like age in general rather than just Dragon Age. Uh, yeah, sure. Making no promises, of course. Talk making... about my work. No, don't make me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, thank yeah. you for joining us, and uh, thanks to everybody out there who is listening in, uh, whether you're doing it live or whether you're doing it in podcast land in the future, at least compared to where I am right now. Uh, thank you all so much for joining, and uh, this is going to be Ren wishing lots of sixes on that stunt die. You folks have a lovely time, and we'll That's see you right. Around.
Thank you for listening to the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us on our Patreon. If you support us at only $3 per month, you get to vote on our Patreon-only poll, which is worth twice as many votes as the other polls. Anything you can contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog in the post for this show. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on our Facebook or Twitter. Feel free to leave a comment or a question, or even tell us how your age games are going. We do love to hear. Feel free to comment on our show on SoundCloud, and if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or Google Podcasts. It really helps us out. The music and sound effects you heard on the show all came from Sirenscape, the legendary program for providing sound effects and music for your tabletop games. You can get started for free if you want to try it out first, and subscribing gives you wider access to the impressive and still-growing library of sounds for fantasy, sci-fi, modern, superhero, horror, and other types of games. Take a listen to Sirenscape, my friends, because your epic games need epic sound. This is Ren, wishing lots of sixes on that stunt dive. Please take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.